This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ plus communities. This is Well, 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 brought to you by the team from Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. Here on Well, 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 we delve into the issues impacting and surrounding the health and well-being of our gender, sex and sexually diverse communities. Coming to you from Joy's Victorian Pride Centre studios on Bunurong Country, I'm your host Jacinta Hennicom, joined this week by Cal Hawke. Cal, welcome to the studio. Pleasure to be back on. <laughs> and tonight we are looking at a couple of different topics. The first that we will be looking at is Intersex Awareness Day, which is coming up on the 26th of October. And intersex is an umbrella term for diverse range of innate sex characteristics that differ from medical and social norms of female or male bodies. And because intersex people are perceived as different, they are more at risk of stigmatization, violence and harmful practices, including forced or coercive medical interventions to make their bodies more typically female or male. So we'll be having a chat about why Intersex Awareness Day is incredibly important and to cultivate awareness, acceptance and support for intersex people. And we'll be chatting to Cody Smith, who is a Senior Project Officer for Intersex Human Rights Australia. You're getting well, well, well with the team from Thorn Harbour Health. We are here on Well, Well, Well talking to Cody Smith, who is from Intersex Human Rights Australia organisation. Cody Smith is a Canberra-born queer living with intersex variation and has been a professional intersex agitator for the last eight years. Starting off in grassroots community education, Cody has helped raise the profile of intersex rights in the ACT towards ending unconsented medical intervention on intersex children. Cody helped develop the Darlington Statement, worked as Intersex Project Officer for Agenda Agenda, and today works as Senior Project Officer for Intersex Human Rights Australia. Thank you so much for joining us today, Cody. I'm very pleased to be here. We wanted to start off with, what does it mean to be intersex? Which feels like a very deep and philosophical question to get started with, um, because honestly, you can be in a room with 20 other intersex people and all have very, very different experiences of what being intersex is like. But um, I guess to give like a, a definition that we all have in common is people who are born with a variation in sex characteristics. If you think of sex and gender as being a Lego model, where people who are born with a Lego kit that has different um, Lego pieces in it, then... Um, what you typically associate with um, a particular model. And for, I guess, for intersex, people that are trying to understand, uh, I suppose with Intersex Awareness Day, we have, I guess, it seems like a very basic question. Like you said, it's, it can either be a very basic answer or it could be a very deep and kind of um, uh, more robust answer. Um, but I guess, what are some of the issues faced by intersex people in Australia? I suppose the big ticket item for us is around uh, unconsented medical intervention. So often when uh, intersex traits are identified at birth, doctors push for the normalization of those traits, which means that intersex people can experience um, surgery um, and um, other forms of hormonal and other uh, medical interventions before they're even able to consent or even before they have um, uh, are able to express a particular identity. and. Um, these are 
these forms of medical intervention have lifelong consequences. So um, one of the big things that we're pushing for is legislation that protects the consent of um, children who are subject to these medical interventions. But there's a lot of other issues as well. Um, uh, one of the one, uh, one of the big, uh, one of the sort of, um, I guess, more prolific issues at the moment is around um, participation in sport. We're seeing um, like a lot of back and forth um, at the Olympics around the inclusion of intersex in, in sport. And um, I think probably the most prolific case uh, is uh, the South African runner Tasha Semenya being excluded from uh, participating in running events. And ultimately, uh, there's there's also some problems with um, education and workplace discrimination. We have some of, some of the higher rates of um, school dropouts and also underemployment. So uh, unfortunately, the intersex community also lives with a higher rate of poverty than, I guess, um, what you'd term typical Australian. Yeah. And is that for particular reasons like certain barriers, like lots of medical appointments and, and things like stigma, which is obviously a lot broader and, and can be really harmful? Uh, those are certainly two of the things that can happen. So, uh, yeah, you can miss out on a lot of school um, if you have, you have intersex variation detected at puberty. Um but the other thing is that some types of intersex variation, and honestly, intersex variation encompasses something like 40 different sort of medical categories. Some types of intersex have comorbidity with learning developmental disorders, so ADHD and um, autism, those sorts of things. So there's a few different ways um, about that, but there's very reasonable accommodations you can make for intersex people in the classroom. And I wanted to ask, can you tell us about the 2017 Darlington Statement? Because that seems to be a really key, uh, I guess, vehicle in the intersex advocacy space. How was it created and how is the Darlington Statement being used these days? Yeah, so um, the first Darlington Retreat uh, was held in 2017 and we produced this document of advocacy called the Darlington Statement. And... um, you know, I just highlighted three issues. The Darlington Statement is a more complete breakdown of the issues that intersex Australians face in Australia today. So it, it's a fairly sizable document that goes into uh, various different areas, such as um, legal reforms that we need, education reforms that we need, health reforms that we need, uh, even covering stuff like funded peer support, support for parents, support for midwives, and um, basically... That's just that just has created the guiding principles for intersex activism in Australia. So it's also an opportunity for people who want to support intersex rights to uh, sign a, and affirm the Darlington Statement, which just helps um, boost the profile of the Darlington Statement and um, helps us um, um, basically find our voice when we're dealing with politicians. It's it's much more effective for us to go, here's the Darlington Statement, which has been signed um, by, um, you know, hundreds of Australians who are interested in seeing intersex reform than it is to say, you know, uh, we're 12 angry intersex people and here is a list of our demands. <laughs> right. And speaking about that, I mean, we're talking about Intersex Awareness Day. Have we seen, since the Darlington Statement's been put out there in 2017, have we seen the profile of intersex issues and the profile of intersex people risen at all? I mean, there's forward momentum, yes, but if I'm being absolutely truthful, I don't think we've seen any item of the Darlington Statement sort of truly ticked off or marked off or resolved. We're definitely seeing a greater profile of intersex rights 
um, in terms of media coverage, in terms of um, public understanding. And that's something that I've seen, um, like when I first started doing community education, uh, no one would be able to give me a definition of intersex. And these days it's much more common for me to be able to walk into a room. There's at least someone who's heard of the term. Um, and there's certainly efforts, ongoing efforts to create legislation, ongoing efforts to create funded peer support. And we continuously build resources for our community. So it's all a, um, a work in progress. Speaking of that work in progress, and I guess building the capacity of the greater community, could you tell us a little bit around, we've heard of the rainbow tick, so to speak, but could you tell us about the yellow tick? Yeah, so the yellow tick is basically a competency standard that's tied into intersex dedicated um, uh, training package. Uh, we found that efforts such as rainbow tick um, don't always have the intersex competency that we need to deliver services that understand the needs of the intersex community. Often when we see um, LGBTIQ services, even though they have the I in their acronym, even though they're, they say they're there for intersex people, they're still very much fixated on an idea of intersex that's grounded in terms of sexuality and um, gender. And um, ultimately what it comes down to is uh, intersex people tend to be straight, tend to be cisgendered. It's just simply that they have a, um, this variation in sex characteristics. So um, sometimes we find that uh, queer spaces aren't actually a good match for intersex people. But yellow tick training is a way to build that competency because we do need access to things like counselling and um, sexual health services and all, all the sorts of services that um, people engage with. Yeah, and obviously the, there's resources out there, um, particularly through the work that Ira do about what is the best practice for language when including intersex in LGBTIQ queer community language. Um, but just for our listeners, what is there kind of like a go-to best practice for that language? Is it more so about thinking how people are really meaningfully including intersex people um, and whether a service is for intersex people? Uh, it's a very good question, and honestly, I could talk about this for an hour, and <laughs> have done so in the past. Ira uses intersex as its best practice language, largely because it's what has the most recognition, the most historical significance to the human rights movement, and what has the most sort of um, international recognition. Uh, however, largely because the intersex rights movement has that sort of, um, I guess, association with the queer rights movement, there's a lot of intersex people out there who um, sort of um, embrace other terminologies such as disorders of sex development. But we don't like, we don't tend to like that word because we don't tend to see intersex people as disordered. Um, so there's also a proposed uh, term, variations of sex characteristics, in, in order to just be able to talk about it in a value neutral way. So largely in Australia, if you're talking about the intersex population, it's best to use intersex as best practice language unless you're working with a client who identifies differently. And, you know, I, I've even worked with clients who the only access to diagnostic language they have is hermaphrodite, which, you know, that's a word that is largely seen as a slur these days. But um, sometimes you just got to meet where people are at on their journey and then figure out how to bring them into the community because um, when we support each other, we produce better outcomes for intersex people. 
Absolutely. We'll be right back in a moment to continue talking with Cody Smith from Intersex Human Rights Australia. Sexual health, mental health and the overall well-being of our LGBTIQ communities. You're listening to Well, Well, Well. You are listening to Well, Well, Well here on Joy, and we are continuing the conversation with Cody Smith, Senior Project Manager at Intersex Human Rights Australia. Uh, Cody, before we were talking about uh, LGBTIQ and the acronym and how I is oftentimes included, um, as you might have guessed from my accent, I come from the U.S., and so I don't see I included in the acronym there, but you were also touching on how the intersex community is kind of in an interesting position in that a lot of the people within the intersex community might be straight or cisgendered. And so they don't necessarily identify with the broader LGBTQ spectrum. Is that why we don't see I included in other parts of the world where, as we do here in Australia? I mean, it's different groups of people, different groups of advocates, different ideas about intersex, different ideas about um, intersex politics um, um, all across the world. Um, which is largely one of the reasons why we tried to push towards um, a human rights model as opposed to like a medical model or a queer rights model. So um, there's there's certainly intersex advocates I've interacted with in the US who do put the I in LGBTIQ, but also there's a tendency for best practice language to pop up in particular areas in Australia. LGBTIQ just tends to be the acronym, acronym that we use. Meanwhile, I think America does have that tendency towards the sort of more pared back sort of LGBTQ sort of acronym. Okay. Well, another acronym is ERA or Intersex Human Rights Australia. Can you tell us a little bit about ERA? Yes. Yeah, so ERA uh, got its start as Organisation Intersex International and is one of the longest running intersex-led charities um, dedicated to intersex human rights in the world. Um, we're um, headed up by uh, Morgan Carpenter, who has been doing um, uh, work for the community for a very long time. Um, and in a way, in a way, we uh, we try to take lead on advocacy in Australia, but um, our work has a global impact. Uh, Morgan was actually in Geneva uh, just a couple of weeks ago, um, dealing with the United Nations, uh, a human rights committee, uh, shadow committee on torture or something. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're an intersex-led organisation uh, that uh, is dedicated to intersex human rights, and while our our work here in Australia is, has a national focus. It has international implications, which is uh, exciting. Yeah, it's incredible work that you do. What is the current focus of of the work that you're doing? Are, are there particular things that are happening globally or here in Australia that you're working out at the moment? Well, my, my focus at the moment is making sure that we have um, – uh, stuff happening for Intersex Awareness Day. Like, obviously, it's a big focus of our calendar and um, there's a lot of um, big publicity opportunities and um, so on and so forth. But um, uh, honestly, like we just tried to turn up where we're asked, where we're needed, just to drive policy change and um, start conversations about legislation. So, um, And those conversations happen right across Australia. Um, you know, um, it's always, if you want to keep up with our work, um, there's always like a good archive of it on our website um, and you can even sign up to our newsletter where we um, post regularly about the work that we're doing. 
I imagine too, will you be having some content on Intersex Awareness Day coming up uh, in October? Uh, I guess content for people that kind of maybe are new to the conversation around intersex people, um, resources to so that people can get educated. I mean, we've talked about capacity building for kind of broader organizations, but just for the general punter who's going, yeah, I've heard the term, but I actually don't know a whole heck of a lot about it. Will there be resources that we should be linking folks to? Uh, we will have a webinar, um, a free webinar available on our um, website. So um, that that's sort of like one way to continue the conversation. We've also just recently opened up our Yellow Tick training to a monthly public uh, opportunity whereby people can uh, access like an introductory session of our Yellow Tick training. So that runs for an hour. It covers just the basics, um, but we run a lunchtime session and an evening session of that um, each month now. So um, those would be two great ways to build your intersex capacity and intersex knowledge. With your time, Eddie, and I suppose the you know the trust of people that are there that have been you know working on this space for some time, what do you think are maybe some common misconceptions or things that people just need to like understand before they go into an intersex space or have a discussion with an intersex person? I think there is some baseline sort of um, etiquette around because it, it, intersex can be very intimate and very private. It's, it's sort of like there is some. Uh, stuff around disclosure, people need to treat um, like uh, conversations about intersex as confidential and it's sort of like, if I tell you that I have an intersex variation and you ask me, you know, what type of intersex variation I have, you know, if I, if I told you that I'm not only telling you like um, my anatomy, I'm telling you information about all my squishy bits, but um, I am potentially also telling you about um, some of the medical history that I have and some of the trauma that can be associated with that. So I think that's one of the key points of etiquette. Um, and the other thing is just sort of like, I guess, like um, not assuming that all intersex people are queer or are comfortably being associated with um, queerness or the queer movement. And just like um, in- ensuring that you're respecting intersex on its own terms in terms of sex characteristics and just ensuring that whenever you're talking about intersex, you're not using it to prop up transgender identities or gender diversity, but you're talking about intersex people on their own terms and talking about intersex issues. I think that's a really important point. You know, coming up next month, you know, you have, as you said, you're very busy with Intersex Awareness Day. And then next month, we've got a Victorian state election. And I know that uh, an LGBTIQ priorities document has recently been released. And ERA has signed on to that alongside Equality Australia, the Victorian Pride Lobby, Thorn Harbor Health, um, everybody. I'm going to, I'm not, I'll stop there because I'm not, I don't want to exclude <laughs> just one person. Um, but I know that there's a couple spots where they've identified a couple priorities that are specific for intersex communities here in Victoria, including um, the introduction of legislation to protect people born with variations of sex characteristics. Um, And and I guess that so-called, as you referred to, normalizing medical interventions without um, the consent, obviously, of those uh, children. And I guess the also was around, um, the other ask was around funding and implementing recommendations um, in the I am equal plan for intersex health and well-being. I guess first, could you tell us a little bit more around the legislation potentially being introduced? Yeah, so uh, like I said, um, medical intervention, um, because it represents sort of like traumatic harm to our community, is a huge priority, not just in Australia, but right across the world. Um, so Victoria is one of the states that uh, has actually uh, engaged with the intersex community and made a commitment to implementing um, some form of legislation to protect 
um, intersex children, which is exciting and necessary. And it is sort of, um, it is um, a bit to our detriment that we have to keep having this conversation at the state level and we can't have it at a federal level. But um, it, yeah, yeah, it's happening right across Australia, but in, in a way, Victoria um, it has taken some lead over other states. Yeah, and in the ACT earlier this year, there was uh, the introduction of some potential law reform around these non-consensual, um, quite traumatising medical practices that happen. Can you tell us a bit about what that proposal was and what it might mean for the intersex community and also kind of what's happening in that space? Like, is it something that will change soon in the ACT? Um, hopefully soon, but uh, at the, in the same breath, not soon enough. Mm. Um, the ACT has been engaged in, a, I'd say, about a three-year consultation process at the moment, and um, it's produced a number of listing reports, it's produced draft legislation this year, um, and it's current, currently going under a final review before it's likely to then be presented to the Legislative uh, Assembly here. It's a really exciting model for us. Um, because we have seen some legislation around the world in places like Greece, Malta and Tamil Nadu uh, and while the legislation there is world leading in the sense that um, it's gotten there first there's also some um, aspects of that model where some intersex people are falling through the gaps so we hope that the legis- legislative efforts in the ACT will actually be world leading and um, provide um, a lot more security is really really exciting it's been exciting to be part of that process and it's exciting uh, that we'll be seeing it bear fruit soon now before we wrap up with you i did want to uh, circle back the other recommendation that's kind of included or not recommendation but i guess priority that's articulated in the uh lgbtiq priorities document i mentioned earlier is to fund and implement recommendations of the i am equal plan for intersex health and well-being a lot of folks out there probably aren't even familiar with the I Am Equal Plan. What exactly is it and what do those recommendations look like? I Am Equal is actually very, very exciting in terms of a set of um, sort of policy priorities for the Victorian government that is actually completely dedicated to intersex people. But the, the perhaps the most important part of it is that it lays out um, steps forward that are all about um, resources. Um, sort of um, services, resource implementation. There's even something in there about a health and well-being centre, which would probably be a world first. I can't think of any sort of dedicated intersex health centre. Uh, but the important thing is that th- this is all resource. Um, a study in Belgium showed that 0.2% of LGBTIQ funding actually gets uh, dedicated to intersex-led causes. So uh, in in this sense, like it's um, Victoria's world leading uh, in, in the work that's trying to do here. But in terms of just building community resources, in terms of um, like ensuring continuity of care, a lot of intersex people, um, you know, they're treated as a child and then they lose access to all their pediatric doctors and it's very, very hard for them to get access to adult doctors, even though they have complex healthcare needs. So, um, yeah, that's all very, very exciting stuff that's sort of um, um, a little bit bigger picture than just the legislation to protect intersex people. And finally, just just to wrap up, how can people learn more about intersex inclusion and um, help follow along with the continued advocacy in this space? And what else can people do? Intersex Human Rights Australia uh, has a huge amount of information um, all sorts of resources, and one of the best things is that it's all generated by people with lived experience. So, 
um, you're getting um, uh, you're getting resources that are written from the um, by and for intersex people, and that's there's you know there's media guides, there's uh, education resources, there's um, stuff in there about particular issues around um, IVF and sports, and um, honestly, you can lose hours in there and come out knowing everything there <laughs> there is pretty much to know about is intersex at the, um, today. Um, and of course, we've also got um, the Darlington website, darlington.org.au, where you can read and sign the Darlington Statement. So honestly, anyone who gets across the Darlington Statement and signs in support of it is ahead of the curve when it comes to intersex allyship. Amazing. Well, we will link to that as well, but folks can check that out at IHRA, so I-H-R-A.org.au. And um, yeah, we'll link to that on the show page as well, joy.org.au slash well, well, well. Cody, thank you so much for having a conversation with us today. I hope that Intersex Awareness Day goes well for you this year. I know it's a busy time, but we really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with us all. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 your show for LGBTIQ health and well-being, presented by Joy sponsor, Thorn Harbour Health. For more on these topics and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website, thornharbour.org. Well, that has been another episode of Well, Well, Well. Jacinta, thank you so much for joining us as we traverse a range of health issues impacting our communities. Thank you very much for joining me this episode, Cal. What are some ways that people can connect with us and stay supported? Oh, absolutely. Great point. Um, If anything that we talked about today impacted you in a negative way, head over to the JOY website, joy.org.au slash support, where you can find a range of services for our LGBTI communities, including... Q Life and you know other services that are tailored to different groups um, in the mix. Also on the Joy website, you can get links to information from tonight's show as well as the podcast uh, joy.org.au/wellwellwell, where you can listen to this episode and previous episodes of Well Well Well. And if there is a topic you'd like us to cover, get in touch. Shoot us an email at wellwellwell at joy.org.au. Thanks again for another week of Well Well Well, Jacinta. Uh, look after yourself and those around you. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.